Good evening and welcome to the Forum Members Surgery Live, the stream that connects you to the rest of the union. And my name is Scott Haslam, president of the Leeds Number One Amalgamate branch of the Communication Workers Union. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight or even watching later, or you might even be listening to uh, the podcast that we'll be launching soon. So this will give an extra string to our communication bow. Tonight's session, I'm joined by Carl Maiden, CW Acting assistant secretary and tonight we want to talk about the abcgs attendance bullying harassment conduct and grievance policies or agreed uh, agreements this evening so hi carl thanks for joining us uh would you like to give a a bit of an introduction about yourself mate yeah thanks scott and good evening everyone and thanks for for tuning in um i'm carl maiden as scott said i'm currently the acting assistant secretary of the ptcs department uh, we cover engineering, fleet, RMPFS engineers, and the policies, all the HR policies. So um, that's why we're here tonight, is for you to ask questions and hopefully get some answers. Excellent. Thanks for that, mate. So um, I'd be, well, yes, yes, I would be. Yeah. So I'd be most grateful if uh, you could help us reach more people uh, they're starting to come online as we said so do share the feed tag your colleagues and all the normal stuff so also please consider liking our uh, facebook page of the cw leads number one and the northeast uh, facebook page and also our youtube channels if you're watching on that because we are approaching a milestone on that channel so let's get this session into flow so carl um, I think it'd be worth having a bit of a, a recap as a you know of a overview for the last 12 months. How, how has the pandemic, the dispute and everything else been affecting the department you've been covering for the last um, 18 months or so? Um, it, it's obviously been been difficult, Scott, and you know not just for, for our department but for everyone because during the, the pandemic we had the clinically extremely vulnerable who have um, obviously had to um, had to shield. Um, some people, obviously, um, during that period, you know, it, it's not good being out of the workplace. For some people, their community is their workplace. Um, that can obviously create um, several problems with mental health and feeling isolated. Um, you know, thankfully, uh, we... We were working with the company that when people were coming back to work, there was an agreed approach where everyone should have had a conversation before they came back for the managers to understand um, and hopefully give some comfort to people coming back into the workplace if there was any reasonable adjustments required, what had already taken place. Um, it's been a difficult period because obviously all the, the members have been key workers. And I have to say, I think um, our industries, the postal and the, the, the telecommunications have been fantastic throughout this, you know, linking communities and joining the country together. So, you know, for me, a thanks to everyone that, that has been working through that. Um, it's obviously been difficult because there's been, we've never experienced anything um, like this before. So there was no pre-arranged agreements in place. And sometimes um, decisions were being made overnight. And in certain cases, you could have had any one of the four devolved nations making different announcements to everybody else. So, 
yeah, it's an extremely busy period, but um, you know, we were in there. We, we wanted to be in there protecting our members, and uh, you know, I think the union can can be proud of, of what we've done throughout that period. Excellent. So uh, I just keep muting myself because I'm at home and um, we've got kids going in and out, so I don't want too much feedback coming back. Uh, yeah, it's, it has been a difficult period, and I do remember uh, certainly last last year there were there were emails galore about some of our uh, you know people going on nil pay and such, and, and I know you were sort of the forefront of all that, and I think so. You know, a lot of our members, which you know, you managed to secure them them uh, assurances from the company. Uh, would really in, be in your debt on, on that, if to be fair. So um, the department is it's a funny, funny department in terms of how it how it's run, isn't it? Because you you know when you talk about David Robertson's department or Matt Bolsh, it's quite industrial based, isn't it? And they they draw agreements specific to their different functions. Now you do have a function within the department, which is the engineer side of stuff, the technical side, uh, but broadly. Uh, the department focuses on agreements and policies, uh, and actually, when you think about them, they, they, are, they do co coexist, don't they? And you know, we can formulate policy from a union perspective, but then the, the business or the different companies that we we operate in have their own policies as well. And then there's some seems to be like a mis misunderstanding about what policy is and what what agreements are. So I think it'd be it'd be an interesting. Uh, way to, to seek that clarity Carl uh, if we may to what is the actual difference between the agreements and the policies okay I'll try I'll try and explain it in as simple <laughs> as I can and, and and the way the way that I sort of look at it is anything that's negotiated with the agree with the union is an agreement so anything that we negotiate on which will be terms and uh terms and conditions you know anything that that we put out to ballot to the members is definitely an agreement with us however um that there are certain things that either we wouldn't agree or that it is a business policy in inverted commas and you know sometimes we get asked to comment on them but we don't necessarily get to agree it so for example um, there is a policy within. So within our agreement, it says that they will have an occupational health yeah, within that. But what they actually negotiate and the services with occupational health will be their policy. Or, you know, they might have. Um, a, a, so we've got a, an attendance agreement, but they've got a sick pay policy, which does clash with the attendance agreement. And we're talking to them. Uh, about that around what comes through. Now, we influence that quite heavily and we say see that as a benefit, obviously. And, and you know, if they try to take that away, then uh, then obviously we would be um, we would be in there and speaking to them quite harshly. But so effectively, an agreement is basically anything that we negotiate with them and agree and put out to the membership. Excellent. So, um, as you rightly said, there's a lot of crossovers. Um, so then it's getting down to nitty gritty, isn't it? About uh, and I think there's some comments actually coming through, particularly from Peter. I won't put them on screen just because I don't think they're correctly PC, so we say. So, uh, 
but it, it kind of ties into a little bit because you were good enough to come to our AGM on, on Sunday, wasn't you, Carl? And, and uh, one of the points that Pete uh, has made is about managers investigating uh, managers, in effect, which is the same sort of principle of what we're talking. And, and really, that's, that's a massive... Uh, concern or certainly it seems a massive concern from members around the country isn't it about um, how uh, you know a member can register some form of complaint whether it's a grievance or a bullying harassment yet then there's a, a manager is in, uh, investigating that said manager and the, the perception is they're, they're siding with with their colleagues aren't they rather than uh, maybe our members so uh, you know what the sentiment from Sunday, wasn't it, was about the application and how those that, that bullying harassment particularly uh, agreement is being deployed rather than the actual wording within it, isn't it? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> far too often people jump to the conclusion that the agreements themselves are not fit for purpose. And that was a, the discussion that we were having at the AGM. And, and actually, the the agreements themselves... Are, are great agreements and it's the application of the agreement that is um, that is wrong and you know our role is to ensure the correct application um, of them agreements and you'll know that during the four pillars dispute um, we specifically pulled out attendance as one of our points of dispute because that agreement was um was one that we could definitely identify that managers were were not applying correctly. So we've been in talks and are still in talks around um, the attendance agreement and you know ensuring the correct application. So if we kept changing our agreements every time managers misapplied them, they'd misapply them on purpose because the agreements would then get weaker and weaker. So, you know, one of the things that, that we, we do and is, um, is we, we are holding them and, and in talks at the moment um, around attendance at the moment, but we will move on to other uh, agreements and making sure that they're applied correctly. Um, as part of that process, <clears throat> we're also going through the guides that they give to managers. Um, to deal with the process and looking to beef them up, simplify them so that um, there can be no misinterpretation and therefore, um, you know, our, our reps where there is a misapplication, our reps can then go and challenge the, the managers around that. Yeah, so, I mean, so, particularly I mean, if you're going... If you're going... Hello, feeding oh, back, back there. So... Uh, so uh... That's very off-putting. <laughs> right. So, in terms of uh, the the reviews that we're talking about there, and uh, looking at the managerial policies that the I suppose the business interpretation of the agreement is is their policies and such, and working through them so there's some common ground and some common understanding. That sort of ties in nicely, doesn't it, with sort of the the the, the other aspects of it, which is the joint training that's being rolled out. So. That you know, if a rep and a manager is jointly being trained uh, and you know having that discussion as regards uh, what how the application should be done, and then the manager decides to go off at a tangent, 
then the rep can say, well, hang on, to quote yourself, Carl, on Sunday, don't you remember when we were sat in that room and we were told X, Y, and Z and you're doing A, B, and C? So um, it's quite, I think it's quite important, isn't it, about this joint training and, uh, and sort of reviewing those policies in conjunction with it and it's deployed jointly. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I am a, um, I'm a big fan of joint training because, you know, there, then there can be no, in, no misinterpretation of an agreement and you can hold the manager to account. As you say, you was on the same course as me. That question was put or that scenario was put. And, um, you know, it's definitely something that we will um, look to be doing. So any, you know, changes that that, that we make, obviously, the members will get to to uh, verify any any major changes within the agreement. Um, however, one of the things that has to come out of this is a training package um, around certain aspects. Um, a couple of just you know picking up on 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 a couple of points is so. For example, the Equality Act, and from even from the Equality Act. Um, you know, rehabilitation, making sure that everything that's within the the agreements are, are adhered to. So we'll certainly be looking to do some uh, refresher training or joint training um, through that at, at some point going forward. Excellent. So I'm looking at the feed, the, some of the comments coming through. I mean... <laughs> It's funny, it's almost as if Pete was actually at the AGM on Sunday and he's actually from Hull. So uh, it wasn't there, but maybe maybe people have spoken and, and it's got, got that way out. But, um, you know, some of the poll comments is saying they're neutral investigators, which is a very similar sort of sentiment, wasn't it, about maybe having some neutral people on there. I suppose like an, an employment tribunal panel almost, but that obviously adds its own complications, as, as I'm sure you'll be able to explain again as you did on, on Sunday. And then another one uh, from uh, Pete is uh, no longer managers investigating like mediators. Now, there is a mediation process in, within the uh, agreements that we've got. So I was wondering if you can cover off the reason why perhaps uh, independent and panels and such and what, what, what you're looking at doing broadly going forward uh, and also about... Uh, the mediation process yeah so uh, i mean if we i mean let's let's have a sort of discussion about the panel first because generally a panel would be made up of three people it would be a union representative a manager and an independent chair now for our nap process our national appeals process um that is a lawyer so it's someone that knows the law that comes through that so a, a lot of the time you know it, it will tend to be the manager will go with the manager the union rep will go with the union rep and therefore it's down to the independent person and even if you had um, a panel where the rep was sitting with the manager just you know looking at, at the case the, you, you are effectively then pitching rep against rep in some ways because, you know, in certain circumstances, whether we whether we like it or not, um, some actions are indefensible. Um, and if you then turn around and 
um, cover up that, then the process doesn't work. And you could effectively be having a union rep that goes in to represent and convince a union rep. And you put in one of our own reps in the position of having to agree that someone should be dismissed or, or should be getting a penalty. So, you know, we, we are going to look at a, a number of things within the talks that, that, that we're having. And, um, you know, neutral investigators, again, um, that, you know, everybody says neutral or independent and what have you. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, what we need is the agreements that we've got with the correct application. And that is what we're looking at first and foremost. So, you know, if our agreements were um, looked at correctly, um, we have had some issues um, around, you know, appeals managers not doing a rehearing, but just sort of doing that. And we're challenging that as well. We're also challenging, you know, within the HR community, because even within the HR community, they tend to follow the original decision that was made. So what we're looking at is our uh, agreements being adhered and followed in the correct process. Excellent. So I hope that answers those points, Pete, in particular. Uh, there's a couple of uh, interesting comments. There's one from Chris Pollock, and uh, it'd, it'd be interesting if Unite could get that over the line for, for their managers, is that their bonus are linked to staff attendance rather than going off sick. Um, but, um, you know, that there and there. Um, so going down the parent, so another question there. I think it's it's quite a, an important one. So why why do managers have to go to HR to ask for a referral now, or certainly most of the time? Uh, I mean, my, my personal view um, is that it does refer in the agreement that that's what they should do. And certainly, um, you know, end of day, depending on the nature of it, that can go your way. I know there's been examples where certainly reps where we're based in YDC, we've, we've approached the management and said, well, why don't you consult with HR and see if they agree with us? And quite often they do come back and say, well, actually, your rep's right. Mm. So it can swing both ways. What's yeah. what's your view on, on that then, Carl? Yeah. I, I'm assuming that what Chris is talking about is an occupational health referral. So um, back in 2018, I think it was, um, the business restructured as they do or have been doing for every 12 months um, for quite a few years now. And effectively, what that is, is almost like a triage system. So previously, this is how it was explained to us and why they were doing it. So I could be off with, I don't know, gastroenteritis and know, knowing that I'm going to be back in a few days. So the manager would contact me on day one ask for my permission to get an OH review, but I'm going to be back in work in a couple of days' time. Or I could be off just recovering from an operation. And instead of just having the proper sort of contact strategy where we have a discussion of how I'm getting on, they'll want to refer me to OH. And actually, there's no way I can come back to work anyway because I've got a five- or six-week recuperation period. So what, um, how it was put to us was obviously for every time the business were going to OH, it was costing them money. So effectively, it's not 
asking for permission to go to OH because they can sort of do that. But it was to ensure that an OH opinion would support the case and that it was worth um, going to OH at that particular point. So it's almost a triage. Excellent. There's uh, a comment here from Pete. I, I think he's the number one uh, viewer, to be fair, it's Pete tonight. Anyway, it, it's something that does come up quite often about timescales being a data and impact uh, could potentially have an employment tribunal. Now, personally, I don't, it, it could if you just sit on your laurels, but mm. the point is we're a tribunal and what this is what people need to, uh, I suppose, understand is the time starts from, from that point, isn't it? And if if the business is slow timing in the timescales, you still register a tribunal beforehand. It's just what the reason for registering it is because uh, you can't exhaust internal process because they've, they've lapsed out. But equally, isn't there? There's a trigger point in there for each stage of, I will say, the grievance process. You can escalate it up so you can actually fast track it based on the timescales. It's, it's, have I sort of summed that up right? Or do you yeah, want so, to correct me? No, so, well, I, 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 there's a couple of points I'd like to stress and clarify. So the the actual trigger point for an employment tribunal, the date, is actually from the date of dismissal, not from the date of the appeal. So actually, there is a date of dismissal that doesn't change because once you're dismissed, that is the date. So it's at that point that you should put in for the employment tribunal. So even though you haven't had the appeal, you can still apply for a tribunal and put on the application pending appeal. Well, you know, the, the system now has changed somewhat um, in, in recent years where you go for mediation with ACAS first anyway. So that, you know, and, and you get your employment tribunal number. And once it's registered with ACAS, that stops the clock for the one of a of a better better term. And, you know, the the, ter the timing to get it in is three months mi minus one day. So, you know, just because a manager is taking time setting up an appeal or giving you the response of an appeal, you know, if it's for conduct or, or, or attendance, then just get just apply the for the employment tribunal, because um, once it's registered, then then you're in in good hands. Don't wait for the appeal decision. But uh, I mean, I suppose on top of that, that's that's to do with, I suppose, the conduct and the dismissal side of stuff. But equally, you can register tribunal for more um, of the of a grievance. Oh. So if if yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, so, I mean, typ so if, typically, if it, if it was, some... yeah, sorry, no, yeah, my point was... was that if um, it, you know, for a grievance, it might be a, a cash related problem. Now you would expect, wouldn't you, always having the industrial relations framework, we would use our. Um, industrial clout so to speak fast track it up through the different processes and we get that sorted but ultimately as we've seen recently with the average holiday pay claim we have to register the grievances and we have to go through ACAS and you have to drag the hills on that state because like what happened last night the they they was refusing to acknowledge it as a grievance as such wasn't there yeah so so if you had an issue 
around money being deducted unlawfully or an Equality Act issue outside of a dismissal, then, yeah, you put the grievance in, but even then you don't have to wait for the outcome of the grievance as long as it's been registered. So, um, you know, just make sure it, the Employment Tribunal will expect you to have put a grievance in and to go through the internal policies. But, yeah, that, that would be... Uh, my advice is do both. Yeah, do it sort of simultaneous, which is why it's quite key, isn't it, that you use your branch to ensure that things like that are logged and, and things are, are met to times. So um, the, going down the questions or the comments section, Carl, there's uh, one there from Saf. Um, are you all right to pick that one up? Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're in talks um, uh, around that. And... Um, we're hoping, in inverted commas, um, to get some positive news soon. Um, we we have been challenging that since people have come back from shielding. And there are a few people who have had to, um, you know, who have had to go sick due to non-COVID, um, that where they were covered under the Equality Act. We have, at this moment, um, dealt with them on an individual basis, but we are, are looking and in discussions with the company at the moment um, around that. And, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, we'll get a result or, or some good news around that pretty soon. Excellent. Now, my, my own view on that, Scott, and it's something that I've said from the start, is a lot of our members didn't want to shield. They had to shield, not yeah, just to absolutely. save themselves or, 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 you know, protect others. So um, no one should suffer a detriment through being clinically extremely vulnerable. Um, we will take all the advice we need should we not get um, the the uh, a, a, a resolution to that. But we're in talks at the moment, which is, um, you know, that that's always a good thing that that we're talking. Um, we're not going to let it allow them to be drag drag it out, um, and we'll be looking for either. Uh, you know, a, a hopefully a quick joint resolution to that, and uh, hopefully, as I say, we'll we'll be able to give some good news in the, in the not too distant future. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to the official LTB. Um, we've got a couple of positives there. So, uh, da, 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 where's it gone? Yep. So, backing you up there. The agreements are excellent. Possibly the best around. I think we all agree on that, Pete. And again, it's it's the application, which is something you're very passionate about, Carl. And we've already covered in some depth. There's uh, another comment in from Keith, actually Keith Gregory, and I suppose it ties in a little bit to what we've just been saying about employment tribunals, because that is effectively where you go once you've exhausted the grievance process. Um, is a bullying harassment case a similar avenue, or is it? that that's that dust and done yeah yeah i mean look you've got appeals built into the process which will allow you to and one of the reasons that you can appeal is you believe that the manager hasn't looked at it properly um they've you know supported the the original decision for the want of a better term so that's definitely one and um you know once you go um through that i mean uh the, Keith says, can you take it outside of the company to an employment solicitor? Well, we have our own solicitors that we use, you know, in-house. We have 
our own ET panelists and, you know, the department that I'm covering at the moment has a really good close link with the employment law department. So anything that comes into us that we think needs support in, we will obviously have the, the discussion there and um, ask them to get an opinion. So I I think um, one of the, the key things that I, I speak about quite regularly with, with members and it, it's part of what you've, you touched on earlier and it was to do with the contact strategy. So quite often people say, well, no one's actually rang me or, or, or you know, I've text them or, or whatever. So there, there is a contact strategy in the cow um, that, is not not it's written in it's written in in writing obviously but it's not that you need to contact everyone every week it's what's agreed between the two parties in it now clearly if you're in hospital with your leg up and unconscious then you're not going to be expected to to make contact with the company but but equally you know if um you know that you're on shift patterns um you know and you, you it's a bit difficult to, to make contact. Then you agree a day, you agree a time, you make that contact. And uh, when you get, to, is it the 28 days, which is the key point, isn't it, where they the try and get a face-to-face? -face. So what sort of, have you, have you had experienced some comments uh, from members about these face-to-face, -face, particularly against the background of COVID? Because pre-COVID, there was, you know, uh, the option really for the manager to do a home visit. But obviously, you know, you're not supposed to be sharing homes and one thing or other with the, the government guidance. So what sort of hurdles has, has sort of come on for the last 12 months around the contact strategy or what's different or what's differed and, and how have we reacted to that? Yeah, so um, uh, firstly, I mean, the, the contact strategy, it's useful to understand what the business class the short-term absence and long-term absence so anything up to 14 days is classed as short-term absence and that sort of contact strategy will be you know a discussion should take place on day one the first day that you're reporting absent and then you'll agree with your manager during that conversation when you're next going to have a conversation you know a next the next conversation and an update and generally um, and, and generally that would be, you know, if you've got a doctor's appointment in three days time or two days time, whenever it is, well, I'll give you a call back. Or if you want to give me a call that afternoon, I can update you on what goes on. And then from that, you'll agree the next contact date. Once you go on to long term, there's almost the expectation that it'll be a contact about once a week. So you'd still agree the the time. And you degree the date, you know, whether it is. It doesn't have to be on the shift that you're working because when you're off sick, you don't necessarily operate. So, you know, just because I'm on nights doesn't necessarily mean that I've got to speak to my manager on nights. I can arrange a daytime telephone call or afternoon telephone call. So within the agreement, there is um, so, you know, that contact will be agreed as well. So it generally be by a phone call. And within the agreement, there are, um, for the want of a better term, touch points, which are face-to-face -face, um, uh, uh, discussions, whereby 
to see whether or not um, there's anything that the, more that the business can do to support people coming back to work. So they're at 28 days, 12 weeks and 22 weeks. And there's, um, you know, with the way that mental health um, absence is at the moment, there are people that are saying, actually, do you know what? We need them contact, them sort of contacts more regular. Well, you can ask for a face-to-face -face at any point if that's what you want. Um, I mean, you mentioned um, managers coming to your home. Um, you don't have to hold the, the meeting in your home. If you wanted to, you can go to your usual place of work or you can arrange it to be a place of work that's close to where you live uh, and, and have that discussion. So I know in a lot of, you know, some people live quite away from their normal place of work. So for them, while they're off sick, to go back and forth, um, it is uh, a bit of a trek. So if you've got a local delivery office or an admin unit or whatever building near you, then, you know, arrange it to, to be there. Yeah, so a place, a neutral place, isn't it? I've, I've had that experience a few times with a couple of members. Um, but I mean, in terms of like the home visits, it's there as an offering. You're right, it's not, it's not um, a must. It's it's when it's agreeable, isn't it? So, I think we're sort of going back a little bit. Uh, you've kind of touched on the attendance being a particular point that we need to sort of look at following the pathway to change and the four pillars and such. So, Pete. Um, ask is there any other things in the in the pipeline because um, some of them are as much as five-year-olds well of course so, it's, it's, it's saying rumors and we don't listen to rumors so we'll hear it from the author's mouth if we can <laughs> um, well the, the attendance the attendance agreement is eight years old so and, and some of the other agreements are, are older than that um, the main discussions we're having at the moment is ensuring the proper application of them um that's our policy um as ever when we want to go and renegotiate or have discussions the business will always put forward proposals um we, we're not at the stage at this moment in time um where there are any um major changes however that's not to say that there won't be um and we as i say at the moment we're focusing on attendance because that was the one main issue that was highlighted um within the dispute but we will be moving on to the the other agreements around grievance and and &H. you know the one thing that we will be looking at and we've got a lot of outstanding conference policy and things like that that we want to we want to look at so we will always look to try and to try and achieve that but um you know at, at this moment in time we are just discussing the correct application which you know does include we're looking at the guides that they provide and see whether they're fit for purpose can we update them simplify them and um really uh look at what um you know ensuring that there can be no misapplication of the agreement you know anyone can make a mistake and if you make a mistake and then obviously someone speaks to you about that mistake. It's a mistake and you should correct yourself. If that carries on though, then, you know, that that's not, in my view, that is not a mistake. Then 
that's a misapplication of the procedure. And we're talking um, to to the company around ensuring that um, that you know that doesn't is not allowed to to continue going forward. Excellent. I mean, there's that uh, once is a mistake, twice is a coincidence, isn't it? and then three times it's uh, taken a Michael, I think. But uh, so uh, yeah, there's a couple of things, some good advice that you've been giving so far today, Cal. So we'll pat on the back from Chris. Uh, quick query. I mean, I think this is more of a, a raw mail policy, isn't it, rather than a raw mail uh, CW agreement, but um, about the shift payments. Do they fall off after eight eight weeks? I mean, I'm fortunate no, I've been on sick. No, that's an agreement. It's part of the way forward agreement. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so previously what used to happen is you never used to get your um you never used to get your allowances when when you were off you only got your basic pay so as part of the way forward agreement it it was um agreed that if you're off for eight weeks continuous you, you'll get your your allowances paid within that so yeah that's part of the way forward so that's that's what 20 years ago is it 20 year agreement 20 yeah 20 21 years ago yeah Blimey. Making me feel old. I don't know about you, mate. <laughs> uh, so uh, another question about shielding, and it's uh, with uh, the annual leave. So uh, yeah. basically, if, if they're pre-booked annual leave and they're shielding, it, does that that that's gone, or is it the first few weeks uh, they have to use for part of shielding? What what's exactly no. the process? So people who are shielded will obviously be in the clinically extremely vulnerable category. And um, uh, we're, we're having a discussion uh, uh, around that as well. There's a number of things that since we've, you know, come, we haven't come through the pandemic, but whilst things have, the, the people have stopped shielding and had to come back to work, there's a few anomalies that, that we are discussing. So there's two sort of types of leave, if you like. One is the leave that you get from the company, um, which obviously, depending on how many years you, you've been here, the company are saying that, um, you know, during the pandemic, the law stipulated they only had to pay um, SSP. We got them to commit to full pay um, throughout that period. And they are then saying that from that period, that year, that the annual leave due to everything that's going that that has gone on, um, that they they will be taking anybody in the CV category um, will not be able to carry annual leave into the new year. We do have the the working time directive, which does stipulate um, that for you know for for four weeks of your leave, your employer can choose um, when you take it. Um, however, there is another category where people who are in the CV have also purchased leave. So they've bought the leave and topped up. And, you know, the question there is, well, even if you can under the working time directive, if someone's bought leave but not been allowed to take it, um, why should that be taken? Uh, why should that be taken away? And we're also in discussion um, around that. You're on mute, Scott. You're on mute, Scott. Technical. 
Technical. See, you're showing me up now, Carl. <laughs> yeah, so it's not a, a clear-cut uh, question, really, is it, when you start adding all the different possible uh, angles on on, uh, on on that, really. So um, in terms of uh, if we sort of cut back to a, a broader broader sort of timeline, so what, what are key... Yeah, with the grievance, that were it. So we've got a grievance process, which is, well, rather there's there's a grievance uh, procedure that every company needs to have under ACAS guidelines. We've negotiated our enhanced, uh, better yeah. for our members grievance uh, process. Well, then we've got the industrial relations framework, which um, is that the de under your department or is it just across the, the postal department? It comes across the postal department, so the the IR framework would effectively come under the Deputy General Secretary um, Terry Pullinger. But every department will have, you know, inquiries. Own, own about it. Yeah. So on on that basis, uh, what how, how would you best describe? Because there's there's ways of actually deploying the IR framework for for the benefit of our members, and there's also a way we can utilise the grievance individual grievance process for individual members um, and i was wondering if you can sort of explain which one you would expect um, our, our reps to be utilizing for the benefit of our members because there's kind of they can cross depending on the nature of of disagreement or the issue of grievance so i mean if there's if there's something for an individual member or a small number of members the rep can obviously make representation to try to resolve that. Um, in them cases, because generally you could have a general issue, but not everyone is the same, I would say for each member to put in their own grievance. So, you know, sometimes people go, I'm going to put a group grievance in or I'm going to do that. The problem with a group grievance is you might have slight differences amongst different people and the business could make a decision on one, not taking into account some of the other points. Um, and therefore, you know, you've put it in as a group, the business will make a decision on the group. If it is quite for a, a general issue, terms and conditions issue, then the rep does have the, the opportunity to use the IR framework and, you know, uh, around that. So if it's an ongoing terms and conditions issue, um, yeah, definitely use the, the IR framework all the way through. Um, you can exhaust that. If that doesn't get resolved, then, you know, we, we then have to make a decision of how important that issue is to us where, you know, we'd always try and intervene at, at national level. Um, but if it does mean that much to the unit, then we, um, you know, branches can apply for industrial action and we would then obviously facilitate that within the department as well, because that comes under most of that comes under our department. So. So, um, I mean, particularly with uh, the grievance, uh, what what would you say are the key key enhancements that we've got for our grievance process compared to the ACAS standards? I know the, oh. the three-stage the three stage process is an obvious uh, standout, but what yeah. would you say are the, the key ones? So, again, if it was applied properly, 
is the automatic escalation on a time scale. So what used to happen, um, you know, someone would put a grievance in, it'd sit in the bottom of a manager's drawer. And um, grievances, believe it or not, grievances never used to be registered. So not until they got to stage three. So, you know, we've now got it that even from day one, once you've had an informal chat or you say, no, I can't resolve this informally, it's recorded at all levels. Um, we get the, the stats on a quarterly basis um, around that. Clearly, the escalation process, so, um, you know, a manager can't hide. Now, I'm aware that at the moment, um, some of the timescales on grievances are going way beyond what they should be, even with the escalation process. And we, we are going to be picking that up as part of the talks on policy. So, I mean, my understanding, particularly from from the Ramel group side of stuff is that grievances are registered uh, on what on their IT system called PSP. So uh, I'm just plugging the computer and I forgot to plug it in. I don't want it to go cutting off, do we? So uh, yeah, so they register it on PSP and they're supposed to get these prompts as well, aren't they? So, I mean, I, I, uh, I know that reps can't actually access PSP to see where these cases are. So, I mean, do you think that's something that, that could happen where, you know, uh, if if a member registered grievance and requested Rep Cal to represent them, that they could access that PSP um, file, if you want to bear for it? Or do you think that's going to be uh, more of a GDPR thing or they'll certainly hide behind GDPR on that? Yeah, I, I mean, the Given the rep access potentially has GDPR issues, but there's nothing wrong with the member that's put the grievance in asking for an update. So I, I just want to clarify the first discussion around a grievance. Um, you can agree to informal resolution. And if it's um, agreed by informal resolution, then that doesn't get registered. It's only when you say no. We can't we can't um, deal with it informally. So when you go into the formal process, so I don't want people thinking that the second that they make a complaint or they have a discussion, it's automatically on there. If it's resolved informally, it won't be. But we get all the stats that go formal on one, two, and three. Oh, sorry, Chris has just asked, "What is um, GDPR?" Yeah, I just seen that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. um, it's general data protection regulations. So it's you can't share information that is personal to another individual. So I couldn't send out um a, an email with a list of people's names and addresses and pay number on. You know, you, you have to have permission from the individual to share that. So I mean, uh, it's it's interesting about GDPR and hold because there's the. Uh, access request isn't the access for information request so you could actually put a request into an organization about anything that they hold on you uh, and you've a right to do that under that bit of legislation haven't you and that that's a bit of a minefield because to, to search through everything to find your name your picture or whatever uh, can but can be a nightmare depending on the the nature of the company or the organization uh, and what have you 
and I suppose that um, I don't know if we should be discussing that because there might be some people be getting upset about that. You know, the work that may be may be given. Uh, appreciation there from Chris. Thank you very much. Uh, Cass having some predictive task uh, issues. That's not not a problem. Thank you for that, A AJ. And so um, yesterday, you were on a Zoom call, didn't you? Piggyback from a, a previous session you did on disability rights and acts, and quite frankly, disability and equality act is, is a key area of attendance and and what leads on to grievance and and, and broader things which you cover up within your department so what 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 sort of questions were coming up in yesterday's session Carl? yeah so um it was done in conjunction with the equality department at headquarters um we did a session previously and and um you know there were a lot of questions people were still saying that you know they had questions they wanted to ask and we had run over time the first time and um so we set up the other session and that just coincidentally was last night, which is the, the, obviously um, before this one. So uh, uh, people were asking questions around how, you know, how does something get recognised under the Equality Act? There was um, a lot of questions about people's rights with regards to rehabilitation or short term modification within Royal Mail. So you know, or reasonable adjustments um, around that. And, you know, depending on, on, on the time and what we've got left, I'm happy to go into some of that and the, the differences between the two, if you want. Yeah, well, I mean, we've, uh, we're 50 minutes into the stream. So, I mean, if people are wanting specific questions around disability asking, then pop them in the comments and then we can make sure we cover those off. Uh, in the next uh, quarter of an hour or so. So, um, I mean, particularly with, we, we've talked about occupational health, haven't we? And I suppose when we're talking about reasonable adjustments, that's where the two sometimes uh, connect, don't they? Where, you know, where you speak to your doctor, they may make some adjustments that you needed to get you back into the workplace. Uh, and effectively, an occupational health referral should back that up and, and can even offer some sort of, rehabilitation plan but even that isn't set in writing is it that's still reviewable i always make sure that when we deal with members coming back off particularly long-term sick we we have a rehab plan that is drawn up as a base but then i always stipulate to review it every week because you may not accelerate you know you may you may not hit those targets after a week or two weeks so you may need to slow it down but equally you may accelerate because of um you know the type of work you're doing you, you're just speeding up you know do you find that that count yeah so um within our agreement and we've put out a couple of um ltbs on this as well um because what we were finding and what we have been finding um leading up to the dispute that we had is that particularly in delivery offices that unless you could do a full range of duties there was a reluctance to um, give you a, a rehabilitation or a short-term modification. So I do want to differentiate between the two. So you could have been off long-term sick, recovering from an illness or, or an injury, and all you require is a short-term modification just to help you get back to full strength or full health. 
And, you know, you're absolutely right, Scott. What um, people should do is sit down with their manager, take your rep along if you want your rep within there. I was always say, have your rep. And there should be a discussion around what you can do, not what you can't. So forget what it is that you can't. What is it that you can do to build a rehab plan on? Now, that might be shorter hours. It might be doing different workload um, uh, around it or, or not doing specific tasks within a duty. And you should then agree with, you know, the manager should always seek occupational health advice. And you should then have a plan around what is going on, what you're going to do for that period of time. And there should be a weekly review. And that review should really cover off, one, how you're feeling. But is there any part of the rehabilitation plan that's not working for you? And if it is, change it at that point. Don't let it exhaust going forward and then go, well, Three weeks ago, this wasn't working for me. Also, there is, um, there's been this sort of uh, unwritten rule amongst managers that they were treating rehabilitation plans as a pass-fail after four weeks. Now, whilst our agreement does say it will normally be for four weeks, it also says it can be extended where appropriate. So if you're not quite back to um, full health after four weeks, what was farcical was managers were then saying to members, you failed your rehab, you've got to go back off sick, even though they've been at work for four weeks doing meaningful work. So we've put a stop to that. Um, but then there's also um, the, the reasonable adjustment. So the reasonable adjustment is under the Equality Act where someone might have a disability or an illness that's covered. And that is more a long-term adjustment to your duty. So, you know, that or all of that um, should be discussed in, in, a, in a similar way. Um, obviously, you wouldn't review that every week, but you might review it every three months or six months going forward and making sure that that, that is done. So, yeah, that, that's sort of the difference between the two. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Kath, Kath's got a point there. Um, I mean, it's something I always use as sort of like a, a backup, really, almost like a, a wild card. So if, if you are a bit of a dispute between uh, the member and the what, what the member is saying they can do and then what the manager is, is uh, accepting us, then I would say get a fit note to say that the doctor is saying you are fit to return to work on X, Y and Z. And then that is a doctor saying that, uh, and therefore they have to take that because that's the professional opinion, isn't it? Yeah, so so first of all, when I said earlier on, there's a discussion between you and your manager and what you can do, that's what the discussion should be. You, your manager is not medically qualified to test whether or not you can do a particular task. And if there is a dispute, then firstly, they should go to occupational health and check that out. Um, but secondly, it is a good idea um, to get your GP. However, um, you need to be careful because some GPs, when you go to them and ask them to write anything, whether that be a letter, 
they tend to want to charge you. So even sometimes for a rehab plan. So make sure before you ask them to do it that you're not going to be charged £60 or, or, or whatever for it because we can do that internally without you incurring that cost. Good advice there, Carl. So there's a couple of equality. So we're talking about uh, attendance and equality matters. So a couple of comments here. Uh, quite often, someone will be off for a particular element or uh, an issue. Sometimes when you look at their review uh, or absence, you'll notice some form of a pattern. And sometimes when you have that conversation, which is why it's important to have that pre-meet with your member before going into any form of meeting, you get that understanding of, of that individual. And actually sometimes on the informal discussions or uh, what should happen, that's what the management should be bringing out of the individual really. But quite often what, and this is the thing what AJ is saying, quite often when you're speaking to members, that's when it comes to fruition, that actually you've got an ailment there, which is a characteristic protected under the Act. And that's where then you then have to go in and argue the point that actually this is covered under the Act for, um, you know, look at the legislation, how it's written, and then you, you illustrate it. Now, quite often the manager may say, that, well, I don't believe you. So how, how can that interpretation from a rep interpreting the members' situation and applying the Equality Act and the manager saying uh, we disagree with it. How, how can you get that conflict uh, established? So two things um, that, that I would do in that situation is firstly, um, ask the manager what qualifications they've got to make that judgment. And when they tell you, which would be 99.9999% that they haven't got them, to write to occupational health and get their opinion. Because that's why we employ, um, you know, occupational health. Secondly, um, you know, the, the the general sort of rule of thumb of whether you are covered by the Equality Act is that you've got a disability, an illness, an impairment that, um, you know, that, that doesn't allow you to do your day-to-day, -day, run your day-to-day -day life that has lasted for 12 months or more, or is likely to last for 12 months or more. So, you know, if someone's got, uh, 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 as you say, you're looking at someone's attendance record and there's a string of absences, then our rep, and when AJ says members, um, they don't realise they're covered under the Equality Act, well, that's where we come into our own as a union, as representatives, out in the field so yeah by you know we don't we can always ask at any point our members our reps can ask m management to get an occupational health opinion as to whether they believe a particular ailment impairment disability or illness um is covered under the equality act so we don't have to guess Absolutely. So there's a comment which sort of adds on to that. So if someone has a disability, an illness, and then they're up for a review, and that absence is the reason why they're before uh, that absence review point, uh, Jane's asking, in, in that situation, would um, would would and, and you're actually dealing with, with it now, maybe it's blood pressure, 
and you're on blood pressure tablets now, and that's now being addressed. Um, but now you're up for an AR, could that be issued? So whether you're dealing with it or whether you're not, because sometimes you need to have an experiment with uh, medication and drugs are the best for you. So sometimes you can't always keep it under control. Any absence that is covered under the Equality Act should be discounted, should normally be discounted. So the answer to that is no. But it's not just, you know, it's not just the last absence that's triggered it. You could have, for example, the first two absences of four of uh, attendance review one that are covered under the Equality Act. So if you then discount the first two absences and it's not 14 days, you shouldn't even be in the attendance review one because them absences should be discounted. The manager can have a chat with you and have a you know a discussion with you to see how you're going. But then there's also the informal reviews that we've got within our agreement that they're not being used. So when we're talking about correct application of our agreement, particularly in attendance, the informal reviews should be used to tease them out. The return to work um, discussion should be used to you know, ha have all of that. There's plenty of touch points where um, there, there can be a, a discussion. Should the um, agreement be applied properly um, in order for, for them discussions to take place? Excellent. There's uh, a, f a final comment on, on the uh, comments list from Des. And uh, I think it's a bit of a naughty point. And if, if that's actually accurate, then I think we should be, we should be flagging this up, uh, I would suggest, Carl, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. So staff have been instructed to take annual leave as part of the rehab. Now, my understanding is uh, annual leave, you book annual leave, uh, you, you know, based on your agreed process for allocation. And I suppose if it so happens that your annual leave falls within your rehabilitation process, then that's fair, fair point. But in terms of being instructed, as in you would need to take it now, I, I, wouldn't, I thought that was was appropriate. What's, uh, what's, um, what's your view it, there, Cal? Right. So it's certainly not appropriate for annual leave to be taken as part of your rehabilitation, and we should be jumping all over that. So, you know, if I've got a week off and I've booked a week off in the middle of a rehabilitation plan, um, then obviously I'll take my annual leave. But that week also shouldn't count as a week of my rehabilitation plan. So if I've got, for example, a week of five hours, six hours, seven hours and eight hours, but I've got a week of annual leave in the middle of that and I've gone off after my week of seven hours, six hours, I should come back on a week of seven hours, not eight. So, you know, and, and that should be discussed before I go off on, on leave. Excellent. Um, strong words there. So, Simon, uh, I think it's a quite an easy answer. Is epilepsy on the list of characteristics protected on the act? And I, I think that's the fair well, foregone conclusion. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not necessarily... Um, it's not the fact of whether you've got something, it's how it affects your daily life and how long you've had it and going through. So, um, you know, that there's a number of different things that are automatic, um, but other things are. So some people could, could you know, have an ailment or, or uh, impairment or an illness, but it doesn't affect their daily life. So they'd still be covered under the act, but they wouldn't need to uh, to do it. So. 
um, yeah. you know, you, you definitely can uh, c- can make a case um, for epilepsy. Excellent. So a uh, bit of appreciation from Des uh, for, for your answer. So thanks for that, Des. It did what he has put another comment, uh, and I think it's worth worthy of a, a point, but the so-called line in the sand letters uh, and on on equality absences. Um yeah. I'd like some comments on that. Yeah, so I've just you know covered off if if there's anything specific about equality act absences, but I've just covered off the fact that they shouldn't be counted. So the, the line in the sand letters. So um, the company, and, and we haven't agreed um, this, but the, the company, um, should someone have um, a, an impairment, a, a disability or an illness and be having, uh, and they're covered under the Equality Act, um, that there comes a time sometimes and in my opinion, sometimes too early, which is another thing that we're challenging, where a manager might issue what they call a line in the sand letter. Now, they like to make it sound nice and call it a notification letter. But effectively, what that letter does is it will say that for your particular illness, disability, whatever it is that you're taking absence with, we may not discount it going forward. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean to say that they can discount it, because if we think it's not right, then you could put a grievance in and take that to an employment tribunal. But that is what the business use a line in the sand letter for. So, you know, we um, we, we were in discussion at one point about agreeing a line in the sand letter some years ago. and. Um, what we wanted was if we agreed a line in the sand letter and someone then had to leave the business, that they would be managed out through the ill health retirement procedure or the leaving business through ill health procedure rather than simply through the attendance procedure. Um, the business wouldn't agree to that. So that that is why there's still the little bit of conflict um, a, a, around the line in the sand letters. Excellent. Well, I've got to admit, I think we've covered masses of uh, information, some stuff uh, that I didn't realise myself, to be fair. So uh, thank you for that, Carl. Uh, if people have any major issues, then, you know, uh, for going forward, then they can, of course, contact the department through the uh, correct channels, through the rep and, and the branch particularly. Uh, so we make sure we're keeping the rules. Uh, but, you know, if, would you like to offer any sort of thoughts about today's session, um, anything you've, you've taken from it, and, and we can sort of wrap it up? Yeah, well, firstly, I want to thank everyone for, for you know, coming to the session, and particularly those that have put comments and, and questions. Um, I'm always happy to, uh, to, you know, to do these sort of sessions and, Sometimes we get asked to to do sessions with, um, a, you know, do a, a part of an agenda at a committee on a particular aspect. So, um, you know, the department is is there. Um, we're always happy to give reps advice. What we do ask, though, is that, you know, if you're dealing with a member that's got an issue, get the rep to contact the department. Try your HR business partner first. If you don't get any um, any help there then we're always happy to give advice but 
it can get pretty awkward. Um, and we do get a lot of members that ring headquarters directly. And whilst we're happy to give advice, just general advice about that, um, sometimes it can be a complaint or that someone, and then they go, well, I don't want you to go back through the branch. And what we say is, well, no, we will. We will go back to the branch um, should there be a complaint. We're not going to deal with a complaint from headquarters level and bypass the branch just because of what you've done. Because one, it could be the member wants a different um, answer from headquarters. Um, mm. But also, you know, it, it, it could be that they haven't gone to the branch in the first place. So we'd much prefer reps contact us to get the advice rather than directing um, members to us. But we're there, you know, to support um, to support reps, branches and members. But, um, you know, so, yeah, we're, we're more than happy to to provide um, support and advice where appropriate. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for taking your time out, Carl, to join us and do this session. Um, I'm pleasure. hopeful that uh, we, we can do something similar uh, in the future. And, yeah, uh, and I, until next time, I'll just put that one on. Same time next week. Well, maybe, maybe not next week. I'm on annual leave, so we are suspended for at least a week. But we do have another session on uh, on the 10th of June. So I will tip you off for that one. That's uh, Bobby Weverell and Mick Cavana, who will be covering off some uh, RMS, RMPFS uh, cleaners and the uh, CSP stuff and uh, some delivery-based stuff. So that'll be an interesting session. So tune in on the 10th for that one. But until next time, thanks for watching. Remember, unity is strength. See you next time. Bye.